0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the place where. I hope you'll find that same voice, that voice of reason, that voice of liberty, freedom. An American Muslim who cares about my country, who believes that it is first and foremost our American Muslim responsibility to leave a legacy of freedom against the root cause of radicalization, which is political Islam or Islamism. And here, week to week, you and I together, we confront the battlefronts, we face the battlefronts of uh, ideological debate, and I think you hear, you get here a conversation that I don't think you get anywhere else. A frank, honest, humble conversation about what we need to face as a community be you Muslim, non Muslim, American, Canadian, European, Western, or any universal citizen of a state that seeks to protect itself against the threat of political Islam. And sadly, our last week or two has been faced with trying to put together the pieces of yet another attack. And this time, this attack was the attack in Barcelona. Our hearts and prayers go to the families of uh, the 14 that were killed, the upwards of over 100 that were injured or maimed by the radical terror cell of ISIS. ISIS was claiming and is claiming responsibility for the attack. And we see now this was a sophisticated operation in Barcelona with a second attack 120 kilometers south of Barcelona. The sophisticated operation included 12 jihadis who were radicalized by an imam. That imam, El Sati. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. But I think it's it's beyond important. It is central to our communities that we begin to face the reality that we cannot allow this, allow these attacks to become the new normal. We need to begin to understand the root cause and face it day-to-day. And podcasts like this, I believe, are a place that you can start to realize in a weekly sense what we need to be doing in in a coordinated fashion, in a fashion that not only engages our Muslim communities, but engages the world in a way that's appropriate. We saw President Trump this week talk about his plans in Afghanistan, and I think uh, that is obviously uh, uh, filled with the debate about whether we should be pulling out or not, and what do we do, and I'll spend some time talking to you about that today also. But first, let's talk about Barcelona. It happened after I had recorded last week's podcast, so I didn't talk about it last week. You know, I'm reminded, and and thank God, we believe that all of the perpetrators, all of the Islamist militants have been apprehended and or terminated. The driver, Abu Ya'qub, was apprehended on Monday, the 22nd. And shot, as he was wearing a suicide belt and later found to be a fake suicide belt. There were a number of other actors involved and they all appear to be coming from a common source which is in Rapol, Spain, in which an Imam al-Sati had radicalized them. And we can get to some of the history. And this was a sophisticated operation. Began with Mohammed Shamal, 21, who was part of what was believed to be a 12 man terror cell. He was a Spaniard. He told the judge at his arraignment that the cell was planning an attack on an even greater scale, targeting monuments using bombs. The night before the attack, a large facility, a home, had exploded with something like 100 propane canisters that had blown up and included in the, the uh, bomb explosion were the remains of their imam. Thank God that's how it happened. Apparently it was a mistake, and they went off before, and thus with the explosion, it then operationalized the individuals to try to use vehicular jihad without the bombs, since the bombs didn't work. The four were the only surviving suspects from the Twelve, and those four used a van, to ram them into pedestrians on a tourist-packed boulevard in Barcelona. Hours later, members of the group had committed a similar attack in Cambrils, further south. Now, you'll note where the attack happened, over 25 nationalities were involved in the 15, I'm sorry, I said 14 before, in the 15 that were killed. And it's sort of that's a very important fact. Why would they pick a place that's very high for tourism? Well, to affect the economy of Spain, possibly. But also remember, these Islamists view the Western world as their enemy. They view secular democracies as their enemy. And the nationalities that come together from Europe, from the West, from all over the world that are free societies that travel to other free societies, they see as the greatest threat, which is the synergy, the working relationship between democracies that includes, obviously, the celebration of their travel. So, what greater way to fuel isolationism, what greater way to break apart the support system and network of democracies than to attack areas in which they travel amongst one another that's one of the reasons they would attack this area and also remember that nationalities are the greatest threat to Islamists Islamists seek to destroy any sense of ethnic nationalism and especially American type ideological nationalism based in democracy so when you have a street full of French, German, British, Americans, Canadians, Australians, Egyptians, Iraqis, and others who have national identity wedded to something other than their Islamic identity or faith identity, that is a threat. That is the number one existential threat to the Islamist global project. So therefore, that is why they would strike them in those areas. You look at the attack, another case of vehicular jihad, we're reminded of the Inspire magazine directive last summer, 2016, in which they told them to to plow their vehicles through neighborhoods, through mobs, so that they could exact as much death as possible. And sure enough, at the the Las Ramblas Boulevard, for 500 yards, this vehicle zigzagged back and forth, mowing over people as quick as possible, speaks to the need for us to see something, say something, to be vigilant, and also not to allow this to become the new normal. We can't just sort of call this jihadi and then move on as if nothing happened, or to respond and say well this is a military problem if we get rid of ISIS the problem will go away it won't I'm going to talk next segment about why we can't just talk about ISIS why we have to talk about Islamism these individuals were then apprehended thankfully and we believe there's no more left I'll remind you that the Paris terror attack that included the death of somewhere around 150 with so many more involved with five, six coordinated events still left two, two at large that were then able to find sanctuary in Molenbeek Belgium. And then as the police convened upon them in Belgium, remember the initial attack in Paris occurred in November 2015, The second attack then in Belgium occurred in March 2016. So four months apart, they were able to shelter, be sheltered from any security operation despite video and all the other things. These guys were apparently possibly headed to the border, to the French border. They didn't make it. And thankfully, they were apprehended. Now, We are left, as always, scratching our heads saying, how did these guys come under our radar? The Spanish police would tell you that they were tracking 18,000 individuals that had traveled back and forth. The number was just too big to monitor. And on and on. And again, I've talked about this before on my podcast with you. As long as the focus of Homeland Security is countering violent extremism, and we're waiting for these under monitoring of Homeland Security to use some or have some type of behavior that brings them into scrutiny, we're going to continue missing some and far too many. Because we're waiting for behavior, we're waiting for them to gather the propane tanks, we're waiting for them to do a behavior that makes us think they're gonna commit an act of violence. Forget the ideology. Now if we made it countering violent Islamism of those eighteen thousand, you could narrow those down by easily thirty, forty percent, if not seventy, eighty percent to those that believe, espouse, and listen and and, and are comforted by Islamist ideology, anti Western ideology, anti Semitic ideology, misogynist ideology all the telltale we could list 10 criteria that the Spanish police could have listed in the following to pick out who are those among those 11,000 and 18,000 that they were monitoring that they could have followed more distinctly and then oh if they're monitoring their ideas public dissemination of information be it through their Facebook footprint Twitter footprint the sermons at the mosque that are public, not the wiretap, but sermons. Now, actually, in this case, the imam was in prison for four years. Hashish smuggling another thing. He comes out and is already connected with a network of jihadists that the New York Times talks about. And no, he wasn't under monitoring. We have a problem. And you won't fix that problem till you engage in an active frontal, coordinated engagement of reformers with a marginalization of Islamists. When we come back, let's talk about this Imam and what could have been done. I also want to talk to you about this fear of backlash, this constant refrain of belly aching, of victimization that is such a distraction. This is Zudi Jasser on reform. This. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is always great to be with you. You know, this whack a mole program continues. It continues. And, I, you know, listen, whether it's me or whoever, I think if more people would listen to what we're talking about, what you and I week to week are talking about on this program, I have a feeling that the radar would go up and many of these guys, before they got behind the wheel and decided to use their car, their 4,000 pound van as a as a bomb, that they would probably have realized that some of these guys should have been apprehended, but no, We're too busy scratching our head, wondering how do we predict the behavior, what do we do? And the extremes of conversation dominate instead of the more rational conversation about countering ideology. And yet, leave it to the head-scratchers. Al Jazeera's front-page piece, a day or two after the attack, was criticizing who? Not Islamists not the fact that the imam you and i are going to talk about in a bit was connected to the syrian muslim brotherhood or that he's an islamist or the ideology that inspires him the hate supremacism and others no their main complaint is about charlie hebdo drawing the ire of muslims and moderate thinkers in the west because of the barcelona attack cartoon and their attack has a picture of a vehicle mowing over human beings with the note, Islam, the religion of peace. Now, Charlie Hebdo, I'll remind you, individuals in that magazine were attacked and assassinated because of their defiance against the mores, against the blasphemy laws of Islamists, of of theocrats, from Saudi Arabia to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation and the radicals in France. So listen, as a Muslim I disagree with their opinions about Islam, but boy I will defend as Voltaire said their right to believe it to the death. Because that is what makes my faith, what any what makes anyone's faith or those with no faith respectable is when you have a belief that you don't expect anyone to believe or respect, they can say whatever they want, then your belief becomes one people should listen to or can listen to. If you have a belief that you want to impose on people or prevent people from criticizing, then it's not worth listening to. And, by the way, faith cannot be reformed if it can't be criticized at every level because then analysis and critique cannot happen. But sure enough, the Al Jazeera... Islamist propaganda arm of Qatar decides to make Charlie Hebdo the focus of their ire rather than islamism the imams and what produces these imams that radicalize cells it's 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 just embarrassing and i'm also it's intriguing you know how many of you ask yourselves how many of you heard about that cartoon at Charlie Hebdo this week we should have been talking about it as part of the conversation about free speech. Tucker Carlson had a good segment this week in which he, he talked about how the SPLC is shutting down groups by cutting off their PayPal privileges, cutting off their some of their internet commerce ability. And this is all as a result of Charlottesville and trying to shut down hate groups. Yes, there's some vile things on the internet but there's a slippery slope there. And the SPLC has, at the top of their lists, included even Muslims like Majid Nawaz. The British group Hope Not Hate included me as supposedly an anti-Muslim Islamophobe. And those labels are then used to marginalize in a way that when you consider someone a hate purveyor, that then their ideas become toxic, poisoned, and can no longer be tolerated in a free society. And that is effectually blasphemy laws when you're talking about criticizing elements of a faith, let alone somebody within the faith, like Majid Nawaz or myself. So, nobody was talking about Charlie Hebdo cartoons. I didn't see it discussed. It should have been. We should all be defending their right to be critical and to bring forth the challenge that Muslims have. Remember the ISIS attack in Garland, Texas, in which they were having a Draw Muhammad cartoon contest, and Elton Simpson and his buddy decide to drive over to Dallas from Phoenix. And I think you and I talked last year about the radicalization of those two and the mosques that they went to, and and, uh, the same pattern over and over. You know, what's fascinating is week to week, attack to attack, we're finding that these guys are not just sort of quote-unquote lone wolves. They're part of a pack. And too often, we saw in Manchester, they're attached to a mosque of some kind. Mainstream? Maybe not. Islamist? Absolutely. Anti-Semitic? Absolutely. This guy in Barcelona, by the way, he ended his drive right in front of a kosher market How many reports talked about that? You don't think he was targeting the Jewish community in that drive, ending right in front of the kosher market? Was an accident or a complete coincidence that his drive ended right in front of that kosher market? How many kosher markets are there in Barcelona, by the way? I don't think there's too many. And yet not too many people talked about it. That's how you start to educate about the ideology involved. I guarantee you if you have mosques spewing anti Semitism, like the mosque in Southern California with the Imam that Shireen Kudosi and other reformers tried to expose that ultimately those mosques may not be preaching violence, but they sure as well better be monitored for radicalization and cells and and other things. So when an imam in Spain comes out of jail. You don't think he should have been monitored? Doesn't seem that he was being monitored. And it wasn't just the Charlie Hebdo cartoon, by the way. We also saw, we also saw the Reuters story that said, Muslims fear anti-Islam backlash, intolerant Barcelona for the love of God, for the love of God. Is this the response still? How many attacks? How many attacks do we need in which we continue? Days after an attack, Western society goes out of its way to coddle those who follow the Islamic ideology. Now, I, I'm thankful that we have freedom in the West in which to practice our faith but I believe it is our responsibility to put our big boy pants on and begin to fix this problem. So by treating us as children and infantilizing Muslims and saying, oh, they fear a backlash and doing these interviews where the Associated Press then interviewed they, they interviewed some Muslims and said, people are very scared, Mia 23 said, as she sat in a small room at the mosque in Raval, as a small group of children in an adjoining room studied the Quran. Raval, whose name is derived from the Arabic word for neighborhood, is located just west of Barcelona's bustling Las Ramblas Boulevard, where a van plowed into pedestrians on Thursday, killing 13 and injuring dozens. There's a lot of fear. People don't go out. Very few people come to pray anymore. Normally, we are about 40 people last night. We aren't even 15, and this morning, 10. Well, listen, we need some tough love. How many attacks have, yes, there's been some hate attacks. There was the Quebec mosque in which six Muslims were gunned down, and the attack in in Oregon, and others. There have been a few, yes. But immediately after an attack, this is the response? Because you're so worried about the bigotry in the West? Or... Should the response from media be to begin to challenge Muslims and say, how did you not expose this imam? Where are the Muslims that were attending the sermons of this imam? Why weren't you exposing the fascism? Just like they talk about the, the, the uh, tiki torches at Charlottesville and the Nazis and the anti-Semitism of the KKK and others. Just like they criticize those groups, we Muslims should be criticized for being silent in the face of the fascism of political Islam and the anti-Semitism and others that is perpetrated but no the victim mantra the warning to the hateful whites in the West comes out from Reuters and Associated Press and others and then you have the the Islamist propaganda warning Charlie Hebdo saying that this is an inappropriate response and the interviews from Al Jazeera from so many Westerners are all too ready to say that the West is hateful and that's why they're exploiting these few little bad apples. How many packs of wolves do we need before we realize that this is a global virus that needs eradication by Muslims ready to reform the ideas of Islamism and the core root causes? How many? It has taken far, far too many And last in this segment, I want to leave you with just a a bizarre response, which again speaks to the toxicity of the conversation. And it comes from Hezbollah. Yes. Hezbollah says that the Barcelona, this is in the Times of Israel, Hezbollah says the Barcelona attacker is, quote, tarnishing jihad. Tarnishing jihad. The Hezbollah terror group said a day after the attack in Spain that a car-ramming attack claimed by the Islamic State was tarnishing jihad. And they go on to talk as they sit in front of their portrait of the Iranian Supreme Leader Khomeini and Nasrullah in southern Lebanon, targeting innocent civilians, they say the Hezbollah leaders and killing them as part of a satanic plot being carried out by those terrorists which aims at tarnishing the concept of jihad and sullying the image of Islam Hezbollah said the Lebanese group a proxy for Iran is considered a terror group by Israel and the US among others it called for a renewed fight against the Islamic State whose ideology is based on hate are you kidding me? so reading between the lines these taqiyya experts who lie and dissimulate in order to get the ends that they want are basically exploiting this language so if you read this boy, that could have been Linda Sarsour's quotes that could have been Sunni Muslims who claim to be anti-terror but these are terrorist Shia who claim to be anti-terror but yet are pro-terror when Shia Hezbollah is committing acts of terror all the time, but they don't consider any citizen of Israel to be a human being. So they'll launch rockets into restaurants, into into, uh, blowing up buses of children, etc., because they believe them to be combatants. Hezbollah is a terror organization. If you watch Al-Manar, when it used to be on in the West, thankfully it was removed, they were glorifying suicide bombing. Hezbollah, I believe, was the originator of suicide bombing in the Middle East first one was in the early 80s, which we lost our troops. 100 to 200 as a result of a bombing at our embassy. And then it went on. Hezbollah now is participating in operations for part of their jihad against ISIS and the jihad for the Islamic State or Islamic Republic of Iran against the Sunni radicals of Syria. So I think this sort of is, is a good punctuation to the fact that you've got the synergy of Islamist propaganda against those who criticize the core ideology from Al Jazeera criticizing Charlie Hebdo. You've got the somnolence of the West that wants to continue to warn against backlash instead of dealing with the disease. And then you have the Shia, Taqiyah, experts of Hezbollah, terrorists who you exploit it and use this episodes in order to advance their own terror causes, lost in the silent eighty ninety percent of those of us left are those like this podcast trying to get you the message of reality of truth, of the fact that we're fighting not only a symptom of violence but a ideology of islamism and when we come back, let's talk about how to move this conversation beyond ISIS. To Islamism. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jaster. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, I try to bring you a rational, reasoned conversation about what's going on in the world of jihad, in the world of national security, in the world of strategy, of what we should be doing in order to protect our homeland and in order to defeat those who threaten our security. And we were reminded, sadly, with another attack on the number one tourist destination on the planet, Barcelona, number one. And a lot of the same, 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 same old story keeps coming back. Large cell, coordinated attack, driven by the jihadist, the Muslim Brotherhood connection of al-Sati, Imam al-Sati in Syria, from Syria, who had set up shop in Rapol, Spain, after serving some time in prison. Why wasn't that guy monitored? Why wasn't he being monitored? Now, the New York Times releases a long story about how a shadowy imam evaded scrutiny and forged the Barcelona cell. The Barcelona cell. They talk about, well, he wore jeans and dressed like a hipster and only had a short beard. Modern guy. Al-Sati was unfailingly courteous and studious. They said he was a nice guy. You didn't hear that before, did you? (laughs) The Boston bombers, they said they were a nice guy. The San Bernardino shooters. Terrorists. They seemed to be such a nice couple. Al-Sati's technique, according to terrorism experts, was taken right out of the playbook of al-Qaeda jihadi recruiters with whom he had first come into contact at least 11 years ago. El-Sati died when the explosive in his manufacturing building blew up, the propane canisters, and yet the cell continued to act and committed the acts of vehicular jihad that, that they committed the next day. He had a book, The Soldier of the Islamic State in the Land of Andalusia. Andalusia is Spain. But even after his death, he had some significant spell over these guys. They went and committed their act. And the bottom line is, is that in some ways he was known to the Spanish judicial and counterterrorism authorities for at least 10 years, according to Fernando Rineris, the director of the program of global terrorism at the Elcano Royal Institute of Madrid. Abdulbeki El Sati had some kinds of contact dating back a decade with facilitators of the Madrid train bombing network based in Catalonia and subsequently while in prison with a member of that same terrorist network the experts said the Madrid train bombings committed by Al-Qaeda different narrative but Al-Qaeda, similar Islamist global goals killed 190 people now there's a lot of conversation about what was missed, etc. How could they have missed this and that? Bottom line is is that when you're not following Islamism and the idea of Islamist imams, especially those post-prison, it's going to be a needle in a haystack. But if you're following Islamist ideas and ideologues and believe that the worldview of Islamism is something that should be monitored, then you won't miss it. Now they're looking at his records of behavior of this imam in prison. It understood as an important factor in his radicalization. Obviously, this uh, is a common narrative. We remember the driver from the Nice killing. And I'm sorry, the driver from the Berlin Christmas market killings, terror attack, was in prison in Italy for four years until he was dismissed out of kicked out of Italy and went up to commit that act. The mayor of Ripoll, in Spain, Jordi Minol, said that the local police should have given more warning about the dangers presented by Mr. Asati. They said, oh, the information didn't arrive. Well, listen. Go ahead, read the New York Times piece. But bottom line is as long as we're not following Islamism, We're going to be missing these day after day after day after day. The Islamist imams need to be radioactive. Not to shut them down, but they need to be radioactive. And I say don't shut them down because if they're advocating killing in the name of jihad, shut them down. That's calling for violence. But if they're talking about things that are hate speech... I don't think they should be shut down because you can't monitor that. You can't monitor something that you push underground. But they shouldn't be a surprise. And if they're monitoring odd behaviors, they would have noticed that folks going to that mosque are putting together buying propane tanks and buying vans. So the big idea I wanted to get to you at this moment is that we need to talk about more than ISIS. You know, we formed our American Islamic Forum for Democracy back in 2003, and our mission statement at the time wasn't to counter-terrorism, wasn't to counter-extremism, wasn't to counter-violence. It was to protect freedom and liberty through the separation of mosque and state. That's what needs to happen and that would be the uh, take the oxygen out of the Islamic state concept so we have to talk about more than ISIS ISIS is one symptom the islamic state in iraq and syria or sham innocent people in the world over have endured blow after blow from san bernardino to paris to barcelona there's no denying that the ISIS monster is committed to destroying innocents and we need to decimate them in Syria and Iraq and wherever we believe them to exist. But just as we got rid of Al-Qaeda and then the vacuum of the Arab Awakening gave space to ISIS, you could get rid of ISIS in the next few months and you will find a new terror group arise. Just like there's Jamaat Islamiyyah of the Islamist movements in Pakistan, there's the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, there's the Jabhat al-Nusra in Syria, there's Al-Qaeda, on and on and on. These groups are natural byproducts of the Islamist ideology, the identity of the Islamic state. So, if you want to defeat jihadi terror, which is really the target, Salafi jihadism, Salaf being friend of the Prophet, jihad being the militant variety of it. Jihad jihad, is the obligation of citizens of an Islamic state, the obligation of Muslims who believe in establishing a caliphate in the Islamic state. You take away the caliphate, you take away the Islamic state as an idea, and jihad no longer is necessary and it does truly become then just a personal concept. But until you do that, the apologetics are nonsense. Jihad is not personal. ISIS didn't begin as a multinational, heavily armed force of violent jihadist terror. It started as a cluster of radicals back in 99 that then spread in northern Iraq and Syria. And the flavor of the month of the jihadis from al-Shabaab in Somalia to Lashkar Taiba and Taliban in Afghanistan and Pakistan to al-Qaeda in northern Africa then gave rise now to the primary brand of ISIS. They will indoctrinate youth in localities. These youth are not radicalized on the internet. They might be operationalized with some ideas that becomes the fuse to make them want to be militant. But typically, as we saw with this cell, they are, oper- they are radicalized locally. And you know, listen, there w- I talk about vacuums a lot, but there was no greater opportunity to defeat radical Islam then with the Arab Awakening, in which we were finally beginning to see the weakening of these dictatorships that were fueling and spreading with petro-Islamic billions, the ideas that, were, that are radicalizing Muslims across the planet. So if you want to get rid of ISIS in Syria, Assad cannot be part of that picture, might be part of the short-term picture, but long-term... Remember, he fed Al-Qaeda into into Iraq in order to kill our troops. Saddam Hussein was the underbelly that created the milieu that radicalized Iraqis. The Saudi royal family and their Wahhabism is the milieu and the underbelly that created the ideas that fueled Al-Qaeda. Mubarak, Sadat, Jamal Abdel Nasser are the underbelly of militant dictatorships that create societies that fuel the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. So make no mistake, as soon as ISIS is decimated, the global jihadist movement will find another means to advance its ambition for an Islamic state and a caliphate. Hey, it's like a virus. The Islamist ideology and its militant and nonviolent, especially its nonviolent forms, is always going to find vectors. A plenty among the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Until, until we come to terms with modernity, and defeat the theocratic state, America needs to be all in. And it saddens me that this week, the president had opportunities in his clearer speech in Afghanistan, and the longer time he was televised for an hour and a half in this rally here in Phoenix. Nothing about strategy, nothing about bringing us together about the ideologies that we fight. Instead, it was focused on media rants and demagoguery that, that, you know, listen, regardless of what side of the political equation you might be on, you might be, uh, you know, I might agree with them about the mainstream media's collectivism and their uh, uh, inability to be critical of the swamp, etc., but the method President Trump used to waste America's time and rather than advance and sell his agenda to bring us together to be president of all of us and bring us together to sell that agenda that needs to be passed. The agenda that got him the ability to appoint Gorsuch, the agenda that includes hopefully the dismantling of Obamacare and other aspects, I hope that he's able to begin to channel unifying speech, communications that allows us to come together. In the next segment, I want to talk about his discussion on Afghanistan and his strategic shift, which I think was very important, but is one piece of the puzzle, and there's so many other pieces left, But one important piece of the puzzle, which is Afghanistan. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zutty Jesser.
1: This is Dr. Zutty Jesser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for giving me your time. And if you're new, I hope you hear a voice here that you'd like to uh, listen to again week to week. I can... I bring to you the ideas, the topics that few discuss. And I think as you hear it from an American Muslim who loves his country, who loves freedom, who rejects political Islam, you'll become armed with ideas to tell your friends, to tell your colleagues, to change our policies, to change the conversation, to change the priorities of what we're doing. This week, President Trump took to a, a national address about Afghanistan. And in his primetime speech uh, Monday evening earlier this week, he announced he didn't see how many troops, but announced that he was going to reverse his position. And, you know, hats off to President Trump. He was clear. He said he was reversing his position that he had made earlier in the campaign in which he said, we need to withdraw our troops. Uh, We are getting nothing from 16 years of war in Afghanistan and he said he listened to his generals and he said how sitting behind the desk, it was different from sitting on the other side as a campaigner. And for the first time, I saw some humility there that I think is can give us hope that as commander in chief, we finally have someone that is going to listen to his generals, that is not going to simply make political decisions as President Obama did for eight years, in which constantly... Despite refrains from the Department of Defense, he continued to allow and force our forces to fight that war with both hands tied behind their back. And that era has ended thanks to Secretary Mattis, thanks to thanks to uh, Secretary Kelly, who's now Chief of Staff, was at Homeland Security, and others that President Trump has relied on. And he shifted. He said that uh, ultimately... Our withdrawal, and I think many would say that our withdrawal from Iraq is why we lost Iraq to the the Shia radicals. It's why we lost northern Iraq to ISIS, and that ultimately we need to have a better understanding of what happens in the vacuums that we leave. And again, even a few thousand troops into Afghanistan, that's not going to be able to maintain the stability of the country. But what it will do is provide a continuous mechanism by which we train and enable forces to learn the skill sets necessary to maintain stability across the conflict-riddled region between warlords and the Taliban. And also, remember, part of the destabilization of Afghanistan was related to the infiltration of the malignant corruption of Russia that claimed, on the one hand, is obviously overworking with with the Shia Islamists of Iran and Syria and Iraq. But in in Afghanistan has clearly been funneling money and arms to the Taliban in order to continue to destabilize American interests in Afghanistan and the secular democracy that they never wanted to see put in place, that they were sucked into a long battle, which all ended creating the Mujahideen and Bin Laden's Al-Qaeda. So the strategic change, I think has been laid out by many scholars in Washington that is, is extremely important. That includes, and, and President Trump also, very appropriately for the first time, called out Pakistan by name as being a, a significant spoiler in the country that has prevented and been a major obstacle to the defeat of the Taliban with its facilitation, whether it be the Haqqani Network or whatever it might be, the facilitation of terrorism facilitated by the Islamists of Taliban we need to stop underestimating al qaeda as as the weekly standard noted this week and lastly it's important to begin understanding The fact that, and this is what I wanted to leave you with today, is that Afghanistan is not a 16-year war. Yeah, we've been there for 16 years, but there's been very different strategies year to year, month to month, from Bush to Obama to different secretaries of defense and secretaries of state. There has not been one war being fought. There has not been one strategy. And the times have evolved With the Arab awakening, I think post 2011 bringing a whole new era of what is the balance, what used to be a choice between military dictatorships and sort of viral Islamist groups now has a third pathway that may be an option that we need to start. I believe in a long term strategy empowering. Now, is Afghanistan going to be a Jeffersonian democracy? No, I've heard that so many times, especially on conservative media. Uh, listen, we're we're not that delusional, those of us who some may pejoratively call neoconservatives, whatever it may be. You had Ron Paul tweeting a bunch of craziness this week talking about just historically false information about that, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda attacked us because we went to Afghanistan and all this other nonsense, forgetting that they declared war on us in 1998 and they committed an act in 93 in New York. Bottom line is, is that the isolationists will find any way in which to blame our actions rather than looking at the root ideology of what we're fighting. And the root ideology of Islamism is a global ideology. Afghanistan is one country among 56 Muslim-majority nations that is going through a time in history in which the theocrats are beginning to gather more power, more weapons, and are wanting to push this chaos into a cataclysmic level. We can either begin to figure out who our allies are on the ground, country to country, or we can just surrender and wait for them to finally get a threshold in which they come to our shores. And I would tell you it's better to fight them over there than over here, as President Bush said. Now, you can fight them. There's no military solution to this. None. Only an ideological one. But we need to begin... The ideological solution of radio free Afghanistan, radio free Saudi Arabia, radio free Islam, led by NGOs that are Muslim that are part of our Muslim reform movement. We are completely absent in that war of ideas. That is the long term strategy. So, while I was happy to hear President Trump acknowledge the recommendations of his generals and others, I was saddened. I was disappointed that it was business as usual approach to extremism in his speech on terrorism. Terrorism is but a symptom. He should have had a full-throated condemnation of Islamism, the totalitarian political, theopolitical ideology behind violent jihadi terror. But his speech Monday night was merely a commitment to more military action. That's no doubt necessary and is a vast improvement from the previous administration, but that's not the solution to the root cause of Islamist violence. He is offering a welcome change, but President Trump's empowerment of our troops and trust in the plans as recommended by the generals is a good thing, but it's simply its like taking the drunk drivers, stopping them from driving, and taking him back to the bar they're going to keep getting in the cars he didn't talk about jihadism he didn't talk about Islamism where's his com- commission on radical Islam? He gave a good speech in Saudi Arabia four or five months ago, but again he talked about the Saudis forming a counterterrorism center that looked like something out of Star Trek and yet those guys are are, are, are the root cause of the problem they're not going to counter-Wahhabism or counter the Islamism that's feeding the uh, the militants across the planet. I approached the speech with some hope that he'd introduce a plan to fight the root cause of violent jihadi terror. But he did the opposite, vowing a, a bold military approach without the on-the-ground work to defeat the radical ideology at its source. It can be troubling and dangerous to have this kind of myopic approach. I don't want our sons and daughters fighting these wars endlessly in a cyclical year after year after year. We need to have an approach. In the Cold War, do you think we told each other in Washington or wherever it might be in Phoenix or across the country that, that oh, the Cold War has been going on for 10 years, why isn't it over? The Soviet Union still existed. We realized until that wall went down, nobody said, oh, why is the Cold War still going on? Why are we working to dismantle the ideologies of the Soviet Union. Right now, the evil empire of today is the organization of Islamic cooperation, is every country that believes in advancing theocratic ideas of Islamism. And we need to get it around our head that jihadi terror will continue until we militarily decimate the al-Qaeda's and the ISIS's and the al Shababs of the world, and until we ideologically dismantle The Islamism of the Islamic State concept of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, the Jamaat Islamiyyah, and even in the West, the Iqnas, the Islamic Circle of North America, Islamic Society, all of these organizations, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, their oxygen is Islamic State mentality. And until we Muslims reform that, and advance the ideas of our Muslim reform movement until America gets back its public diplomacy program, its U.S. information agency, and begins a strategy of advancing liberty abroad, advancing the ideas of freedom. We're going to continue this whack-a-mole program. We need the whack-a-mole program. Isolationism without a -a whack-a-mole is going to fill those vacuums with Russia, China, Iran, all the bad actors in the world until some of them might even get a nuclear weapon and then... We'll be saying, oh my God, now we need to do something. It's a long war, folks. And no isolationism is going to make caliphism of Islamism go away. And it's not going to be like an EU when the Islamic states get together. They're going to want much more. Look at how they treat their own citizens as slaves in Saudi Arabia and Qatar and elsewhere. They're not going to treat the West compassionately if they have the power and the influence to push us otherwise. That should be our strategy, and I hope to hear that from a president who made his brand on pushing back against the establishment. The establishment of today, globally, is the Islamic establishment, separate from Russia and China. I hope the brand of the disruptor, President Trump... Is about pushing back against that establishment. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I will see you next week. God bless.
0: Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.